Hi, this is Dr. Brett Hill, co-host of The Wellness Guys Show and That Paleo Show. And if you want to make real, sustainable lifestyle changes, then you need to get yourself a copy of my book, How to Eat an Elephant. Go to www.howtoeatanelephant.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we're tackling something that's very close to Cindy's heart, and it's actually a very curious subject for all of us, and it's autoimmune diseases, and how quickly they are on the increase, and how many um, diseases are now on the list of actually being classified as autoimmune, and also diseases that are on the list as classified as speculative. Because now they're starting to speculate, or scientists are starting to speculate on a whole bunch of other diseases, including things like endometriosis. Is that an autoimmune disease where the body attacks itself because of what? I mean, I, I'm really curious to like, extract from you today, Cindy, what is the cause of our autoimmune deficiencies and disorders and diseases? What, what's causing it? What's at the root heart of it? I was doing some research earlier and... there's lots of um, speculations around what's causing it in terms of our food and our diets and the processing that goes on with our meat and our dairy and our eggs and the the, the equipment that's being used and how prevalent um, the toxins are in in, um, the environment and also the things that we consume that, that contributes to autoimmune diseases. Tell me this is not something that could have been avoided. Tell me that this is not something that we have created due to man-made processes and structures and poisons. I mean, is this is this right? Well, I, I actually, I actually believe that there's a me, there's many things that may be causing it. I don't think it's just one. Mm. I don't think we've made one mistake, and as a result of it, we now have autoimmunity. Yeah. I really believe that we've gone away from the natural order of things. And as a result of that, the body has lost its intelligence. And this is what it is. It's lost its intelligence to know what is good and what is bad, what is itself and what is foreign. And like I said, there's lots of things and we're going to discuss them all. Because if we can get rid of many of them, which are fairly easy to get rid of, then perhaps we can, for ourselves, decrease the autoimmunity that is happening at the moment. The first time I ever, ever heard of an autoimmune disease was back in 1985 when my sister was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called CREST. And CREST was, is, and still is, an acronym for five autoimmune diseases. Now, they didn't even say back in those days that it was an autoimmune disease. They just said that, you know, she's got this disease called CREST and it's, and these are what they are. And so the first one is calcinosis. So that's what C stands for. And calcinosis is where the body starts to get rid of calcium. So my sister would have this um, thing that would end up on her finger and then a calcium rock would just come out of the finger, like a, a pure calcium rock. What do you mean out of the finger? It would, it, would just, it would grow. Something would be growing under her finger and she would just get this lump. And then eventually the body would push out this rock of calcium. 
that's what it was doing. So this is... Oh, my God. I know. It was, it was weird. I used to watch it, and then she'd show me the rock when it came out, and then the body would heal itself. It's kind of gross, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite fascinating. It was like a blackhead. Oh, God, are you one of those people? Do you squeeze pimples? Yeah, I love them. I love them. Oh, what is it? But it was like that. You know, mm. that's exactly what it was. Mm. And then the next one was Raynaud's phenomena. And Raynaud's phenomena is where she started to lose her fingers. And what would happen is the circulation to her fingers had stopped. And so she, her finger would go blue and then black and then a part of it would just drop off. Oh, my God. So she had beautiful nails and beautiful fingers. And over the years, the fingers just started to erode away. So that's the second one. The next one was esophagitis, and esophagitis is where the esophagus becomes inflamed, and she'd struggle to put food down. The next is scleroderma, where the whole body starts to harden, so organs harden. You you would see her face got quite hard and... um, Not as pliable. It wasn't as pliable. Mm. It became very, very hard, and her body became really hard, so you wouldn't have that nice softness. And then the last one was telangiotalia. And telangiotalia is when a blood vessel comes to the surface and then mm. it basically just spreads and it just looks like a spider web going. Mm. And Great. this is the first time I'd ever heard of it. And I look back now and, and my sister passed away because of it. She was given 10 years to live and she passed 20 years after because she did the things that she thought she needed to do in order to get well. And so she lived you know, twice as long as what they said that she would. But I look back now and I go, if I only knew then what I know now. But, you know, we didn't know back then Mm-mm. what was causing these autoimmune diseases. We are so much more knowledgeable. And as a result, we can, you know, make those changes. But the medical world is very slow to implement them. So... I'm, I'm just a little confused. Yeah. Lisa was a, a health advocate. She was a chiropractor and she was someone who I would have put into the same category as yourself, someone who was a, a real believer mm-hmm. and passionate um, teacher of beautiful health and well-being. How does someone like that end up with a disease like Crest? Mm. That's a question that's always been asked. And I remember on a, a blog recently and lots of questions and answers somebody said i've never seen anybody unvaccinated with a with an autoimmune disease and my sister was never vaccinated so i actually said that i said i'm sorry but i have i have seen that so vaccination's not the the cause the sole cause I'm not saying it's not part of the cause because they're fiddling with our immune system but what my sister did have as a very young girl was ear problems she was on lots of antibiotics as a very young girl and she had um, her adenoids and tonsils taken out. Was that what caused it? I, I have no idea. But it could be part of what it is. And, and that's what we're beginning to realise is that we have, do you know we have 360 times the amount of genetic microorganisms in our body as our own, uh, as our own genes actually? So it's a 1 to 360 ratio of microbiomes or microorganisms within our body that nestle within our bowels, within our nostrils, within with the vagina, within the anal area, with all around us, within every cell, we have microorganisms. And the thought is this, that our relationship with microorganisms produce vitamins and minerals for us, or vitamins more than minerals, but produce vitamins, synthesize things that we need, Uh, help our immune system 
And when we disrupt the communication between us and the microbiome system is when we start to cause real issues in our body. Are, are you talking, like what I'm hearing is, is like the, the bacteria, good and perhaps not so good bacteria. Are you talking about what goes on in the gut? Are you talking about how our bodies respond to different organisms on the body? Is that what you're saying? Good it's, and not well, so good. Well, it's a communication system. Mm. We must, without them, we're not us. And without us, they're not them. You know, mm. like they, we have to be together. But we didn't know this even probably 10 years ago. It's just becoming big now. Like this morning I was watching a, a video from a science lab in America who was asking people to send samples of their saliva to them so that they can figure out their microbiome. Well, I've done that, a hair analysis and a saliva analysis, and I got more information about my health and well-being from that feedback than I did having a blood test, it, mm-hmm. it seemed. And that's what they're saying is that you know blood tests will be old, and what they'll do is they'll look at the bacteria that is colonating certain orifices or within the body. And you wonder why we're fascinated by poo. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say to you people. <laughs> <laughs> you can read a lot. That. I know. Look, it's not just that. Do you know that what they're doing... Now, this is really going to gross you out, Karen. But what they're doing now is fecal transplants. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hello. So what they're doing is that they're realising... Oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I should have warned them I was going to talk about fecal transplants. Wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> what oh, happens is must we... <laughs> Really? Go on. Oh, look at you. You voyeuristic creature, you. What's happening is that they realise with antibiotics that we have destroyed the bowel bacteria. And the only way we're going to get it back, and they're saying probiotics, but they're actually saying probiotics have to go from the mouth, through the digestive system, through all the acid, through the jejunum, and finally get into the bowel to colonate and, and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen instantly, does it? No, 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 it doesn't. And when you destroy it by using antibiotics, and we've been using antibiotics since the early uh, 1930s, I think it was. My dad, you know, he remembers, I think he was born in the 1920s, he remembers in the late 1930s his cousin having penicillin and dying from penicillin poisoning. Oh, my God. Yeah, at that stage they didn't know exactly what was killing him, but obviously the penicillin just goes in and wipes out all the microbiome and thus causes sickness to the individual, um, and in his case, death. But he remembers that. He remembers as a pharmacist that people who got antibiotics were the older ones, not the young ones. And now we're giving antibiotics, do you know, 30% of pregnant women. And I don't believe antibiotics is the only thing. We can talk about more, but let's just start there. But 30% of pregnant women uh, are given antibiotics. And those antibiotics destroy the bowel bacteria and other bacteria around us that produce vitamin K. And vitamin K is very important to a child when they're born because, you know, there might be a bit of bruising as it comes down the birth canal. And, and what, that's why they give vitamin K injections. Well, at the moment they're giving vitamin K injections because they're saying that we can stop the hemorrhagic disease. It is, And hemorrhagic disease means a baby will die of bleeding, internal bleeding. So they're saying, well, we can stop this by giving vitamin K, but let's go back a step and let's look at when we were giving the antibiotics. And when we were giving the antibiotics was when we needed the vitamin K. They didn't take a step back. All they did was say, oh, we need vitamin K. Man made a mistake. Oh, not man, but, you know, God, nature, whatever it is, made a mistake. We'll now give the baby vitamin K. Every baby that's born in the Mm. Western world is given vitamin K. Mm. Tell me something. I mean, that just flies in the face of what's the most natural thing in the world is childbirth. Mm. 
So if the body wasn't designed to sustain childbirth for the child or the mother, then what the hay? Well, their reasoning, and if you look at the propaganda, their reasoning is, well, God did make a mistake. Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm very serious. Actually. That's oh, fairly arrogant. Look, it's very, like I had a, a friend who was having Oh, her, my God. I just gobsmacked by that. Yeah. They made a mistake. This is where he did make a mistake, or her, whoever it was that designed the human body. That's where they made the mistake, and we need to give vitamin K. Yeah, right. So, it, what's interesting is that a friend of mine um, was having a baby about a year ago now, and she had made the decision not to give vitamin K. She hadn't had antibiotics during pregnancy. She'd done all the what she felt was enough research. Her doctor comes in after the birth of her baby, and says you need to give your child vitamin K. And they've said, no, we've made the decision not to give it. And he said, well, I've seen babies die of hemorrhagic disease and it's better to prevent than not. And she said, well, why don't you give me the information on the vitamin K injection so I can make an educated decision really on this, what you're going to give me. So he brings in to her a beautiful coloured brochure that is two pages. And she looks at it and, and you know, basically he says to her, you know, He's really made a mistake here, or she's made a mistake here. This is what we're going to do. She rings me up distraught. She says, I, I, I made the decision, and now I think I've got to give the vitamin K. And I said, based on what? And she said, well, you should see this brochure. Can you get me more information? I said, sure. So I got her a 67-page scientific article that was, it, like, all the reports around, everything she needed to know about the pros and cons of it. Bought it into her at the hospital. She read it. To her credit, she read it and, and gave it to her doctor and said, this is the decision why I've decided not to give vitamin K. So he gives her propaganda, I give her science. And that's what's happening is that um, we're not looking at what the real cause of it is. And this is all part of this autoimmunity. We're going away from the natural order of things. So let's start. Pregnant women get antibiotics. Do they have a caesarean section or a vaginal birth? A caesarean section, when a baby comes out of a caesarean section, they get the colonisation of skin bacteria, which could be staphylococcus. So when they come out through the vagina, the vagina creates this bacteria so that as the first bacteria that baby comes through is through the vaginal bacteria, which it then breathes in, and it's the beginning of the colonisation of, of, of the canal, the, the, the gastrointestinal tract. It's magic. It is magic. Mm-hmm. And it's all designed so beautifully. So they're finding that caesarean section have, have, are more prone to uh, bowel problems or autoimmunity or ear intolerance or ear infections as opposed to ones that are given a vaginal birth because of the beginning of their bacteria. Which also must lead into the, the colostrum and the, the first milk that the baby gets is loaded with different bacteria, is that right? The first three days, that's where the real colonisation starts. So that colostrum... That, it, that you let down is not a lot, but it's loaded rich. with that, rich in, in, in those bacteria, which starts to colonate it. And then your breast milk, for the rest of that time, has all your, auto, all your immune factors that you have got. So the whole idea of breastfeeding a baby in a community, you've been exposed to all of the bacteria in that community. So you should be able to give the antibodies for those to your child. Mm. And, th- and that's the whole idea of But we live in a huge community. And I always say to young mums, I say, be very careful about handing your baby over to people that you don't really know, that are not in your community. So keep your baby within the family. 
and within the exposure you've had. Don't hand it around until your baby starts to get an immune system that strengthens. So for, for me, um, not so much for my sister, but for myself and my brother, my dad being a pharmacist decided not to give us any medication unless it was a life-threatening situation. No antibiotics. Um, we were not vaccinated because in 1959, the year before I was born, 14 people, young babies died just north of, of where we were living. And my dad looked at all the stuff and it was a bad batch and he just thought, no, I'm just, just not going there. You must have so much respect for him for oh, that, for those yeah. decisions back then. Yeah, you know? he, he was a, a forward thinker. I was the only one who ever sat in the classroom, my siblings and I, who sat in the classroom when everyone else was being vaccinated back in the early 1960s. So he was a pioneer in this. Now, you know, there's, there's less, um, there's, there's more doing it, but not not. Not really a lot. Like it's probably five to ten percent of the population. Oh, and and the, and those people are are still. I can only just imagine what that would have been like for you back then, um, because it's so shunned upon now still. It you know? is, and, and it can start real arguments. And 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 I'm not blaming vaccination mm, no. for anything here. I think it's a group of things mm. that we need to look at. And we're finding that if you give antibiotics to a pregnant woman as well as a child and then vaccinate, the chances of the vaccine causing a problem are far greater than if you just did the vaccination. Right. So it's not one thing. So, so you it's, could actually say, we, we could even go a little bit broader and say things like, you know, it could perhaps the additives and foods and preservatives, what we're putting on the skin as far as toxic and, 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 and different chemicals and things like that. Like there, it is actually a whole big picture, oh, yeah. isn't it? We're it's not, a big picture. Yeah, you can't just say yeah. it's one thing like you say. It's a huge picture. And when I first, uh, you know, like when a year ago was my awakening, you know, I'd started to read about it, um, but it was really in the last 12 months that this whole thing, the microbiomes, the autoimmunity. And what happened was that I realised that wheat wasn't good for me. And we've discussed this before, but I just want to reiterate why I started seeking this out. And I went, well, you know what? I've had one of the healthiest starts in life. Why can I not have wheat? Why is that causing an inflammation within my body? So what I, what I did was I just read everything I could and I, I was listening to a lecture by a doctor, uh, Tom O'Brien. And in 2001, he went to a lecture that pretty, you know, it really got him thinking about um, gluten, really, and wheat. And what he did was, it, it was all about headaches. And they took 10 people, and these 10 people were debilitated with their headaches, they couldn't work, they were on social services, they were on medications, and they decided to give these 10 people a gluten-free diet. So they gave the gluten-free diet, 8 out of 10 completely got rid of their migraines and their headaches. The, the, the ninth person, partially, 30% of their headaches disappeared and migraines disappeared. The 10th person decided not to do the diet, so of course they still had the headaches. And he started to go, well, why is this a problem? Why is gluten becoming a problem? So he started to research gluten and he realised that 55 autoimmune diseases were linked to gluten. And like Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid condition, um, which um, where the body doesn't know that the thyroid is part of the body and it starts to eat the thyroid. Uh, dementia is even, and Alzheimer's is even seen as an autoimmune disease. Type 1 diabetes is a definite autoimmune disease. And once upon a time they thought, well, you've got a bacteria, 
the bacteria created a, an immune response and that bacteria looked very similar to the beta cells on the pancreas, which creates insulin. And so what happens is once the, you've gotten rid of that bacteria, you've still got the um, antibodies for that bacteria. It sees the beta cells as the enemy. It starts to eat all the beta cells and you become a type 1 diabetic. So just, just backtrack a little bit for me. Explain exactly what does it mean, autoimmune disease, and how does a disease get ranked into being an autoimmune disease? An autoimmune disease is where the body doesn't know that itself is self anymore, and it starts to attack itself. So osteoporosis is where the bones start to disintegrate. That is now seen as an autoimmune disease. Um, like um, adrenal problems. When it, whenever the body starts to attack itself... So cancer... Well, they're looking at cancer as, as being it. Do you know that autoimmunity now is the biggest killer in the world? Not heart disease, not cancer, not diabetes. It's autoimmunity. It's, and, and that's where we've gotten to is the progression, the maiming. It, it's also one of the biggest maimers. So we're looking at dementia and we're looking at osteoporosis and we're looking at muscle wasting. We're looking at multiple sclerosis. Like there's a really... Uh, huge case for this. Uh, there's a, a medical doctor by the name of Dr. Terry Wall who has created a, um, a scientific uh, or a clinical trial on people with multiple sclerosis. So let's backtrack 10 years. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She was a medical doctor. She knew what to do. She had the best of treatment. She knew the best of clinics. But seven years on, she was in a wheelchair, a tilted wheelchair, losing all movement, and basically, you know, she was in her 40s and in an absolute mess. And one thing she could do was she started to read. And one of the things that she read about was that how her myelin sheaths were being eaten by her body. So the myelin sheaths are around the nervous system. And without their protection, you can't move your body. And so she was losing all movement in her body. So she figured that if she could reproduce her myelin sheaths, she'd be fine. So she started to take supplements. But although it gave her a little bit of help, it didn't stop the disease. So she kept reading and she realised it was food. So she cut all grain out of her diet. She cut all... Every, basically, the only thing she left in her diet was meat, fish and chicken, but organic as she could. Lots of greens. She had a plate of greens at every meal. Paleo. Paleo. She went paleo, mm. basically. Mm. She did everything that she could do to arrest this disease. In five months, she was riding a bike after she started this. Are you kidding me? Five months, she was riding a bike. I've seen a photo of her a year later on a horse where she did a week ride, I think, through the Canadian Rockies. She's now fully recovered. She speaks on the stage, moves every limb you could possibly want to live, doesn't need um, any any um, aids for anything. So she was so excited by this that she started this clinical trial. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what it is. But multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease. So in order to have an autoimmune disease, you actually need three factors. So the first factor is a genetic component. There has to be a gene that can be turned on in order to get the disease. Now, why do we have the genes for this? Like, we have lots of genes in our body that if we never turn them on, they're never going to express. So why we had it, it could have been, you know, 100,000 years ago, a protective mechanism for a population. So it's, it's there, dormant, until we turn it on. So the gene is actually not what defines your life and defines your health. The gene is merely what we call a loaded gun. 
But without a trigger, you can never, ever, you know, you can't make the gun go. Mm. So the trigger is the environment. And the environment may be what we put on our skin. Mm. You know, Kim, you talk about how we now know what we put on our skin can disrupt. Well, yeah, many, many things like parabens are a biggie at the moment and there's a variety of different parabens in different skin cares. And the reason why we put parabens in is to make something last longer. So, you know, science thinks they've got very clever. We've created these things to make now a skincare or a shampoo can sit on a shelf now for seven or eight years, whereas when you're making it yourself, you've got a lifespan of six, six months to two years max usually. But parabens, now the research done on parabens, and they're even finding that the liver and the kidneys cannot actually get rid of parabens. And in fact, there's been autopsies and a whole lot of research done and something came out of Monash University not long ago where they're actually finding parabens and traces of parabens in these um, organs that are supposedly to get rid of um, toxins and, 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 and things in the body that we don't want anymore. So then they're linking it now to what they're calling them hormone disruptors. Um, and that's not just parabens. That's your DEAs, your PEGs. They're all the different chemicals and emulsifiers and different things. That, and we're doing it because it makes it feel pretty and it smells nice. And then people, are, you know, they've got that lovely slip and we're using it on our skin. But, my gosh, if people only knew just as important as the food as the things we're putting onto our body and the disruptions that are occurring or the increase in estrogen or t- testosterone or it, it's actually I guess as frightening for me as it is for you looking at it as an autoimmune disease as an epidemic mm. and it's not only what we put on our, our skin but it's what we spray around us as well it's in it's like the environment the carpets what they release new carpets what they release what the plastic bottles releases, plastic bottles mm. so that's the environment is all around us, whatever whatever is in the environment. And in the natural order of the environment, those triggers would not be there. You know, the chemical triggers that we have in our home, the chemical triggers that we put on our skin, and even the chemical triggers of what we consume, not only the additives, preservatives and flavourings, but also foods that we don't know that they've done something to. Well, that was the whole thing with you with wheat, wasn't it? The thing it we've just discovered recently is quite shocking. I was doing some reading this morning on um, autoimmune and came across endometriosis only because it's it's I, I have endometriosis and I went and had a look at it and it was saying that endometriosis is a large contributor to it is dioxin and dioxin is a toxin that's produced through multiple multiple different means but it's in the air it's in the toxic waste um, it's in our meats and our our fishes and our dairies and all of that because of the way that it's processed and it's it's it when I was reading through all of the information about it it's almost unavoidable mm-hmm. and it sounds to me that it's it's unavoidable I mean it's the 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 the, the stuff that that robs the body of its intelligence and that was what got me curious it was the first thing you said was that the body loses its intelligence i thought how on earth does the body lose its intelligence and obviously it's the communication internally that goes haywire and it's that communication between you and the bacteria yeah. that, that you are living a symbiotic relationship with so when you put when, you know everybody's got these everyone has a phobia against germs 
And so we use all these... Antiseptic wipes. Yes, antiseptic wipes. And, you know, you don't even have to touch the soap dispenser anymore. You just put your hand under and it automatically goes. And then you use this antibacteria on your hands. And what they're saying is this phobia with germs Mm. has created this um, non-symbiotic relationship between us and bacteria. And we've got to bring it back. And there's, the, like I said, there's so many factors that are doing that. So we've said that, one, you must have a genetic mm-hmm. um, predisposition to it. Two, it must be an environmental trigger. And that can be food, dioxins. Um, you know, you talked about endometriosis, Karen. We've also got polycystic ovary syndrome, which is yeah, huge yeah. at the moment. And they're thinking that that is an autoimmune disease as well. So it almost looks like that we have lost our intelligence. We have lost our relationship with our bacteria that allows us to have the intelligence to know what is good and what is not good and what is you and what is not you. So the third trigger is a leaky gut. Mm. And this is where the antibiotics have come in. You know, like I talked about antibiotics at pregnancy and then what happens between the age of zero and three is that kids are getting more and more antibiotics for ear infections, for, you know, for minor ailments, they're getting these antibiotics. And as a result of the, the, us doing this, they're finding that if, if you give antibiotics, I think it's under the age of two, and that you have a reaction to those antibiotics, um, or to a vaccine, let's say, then you'll, the child will be a non-verbal autistic. If, you, if the antibiotics are given between the ages of two and three, and there's a reaction to the vaccine they'll be verbal autistic. This is what we now know. It's not... Really? Yeah, it's not something high in the sky. This is what we actually know. But kids are getting antibiotics all the time. All the time. And we have created superbugs. And they're now saying that the creation of these superbugs can wipe out the human race. That's, you know, and they're trying to find new antibiotics, but now they're going, no, we'll just do the fecal implants so we can, you know, Ah. transplant so that we can improve the bacteria. And what's exciting is that they actually know they've made the mistake. They actually know we've over-prescribed antibiotics. And there's a new thing in play at the moment where they're asking you not to expect an antibiotic from your doctor. I just heard that. Yeah, there's three steps to it. Don't expect an antibiotic from your doctor or a prescription from your doctor. Um, the second thing is, if you do get an antibiotic, take the whole course. Uh, where, whereas, like, I feel like they're blaming us mm. and not the, the institution that actually created this whole prescription thing. Yeah, I, I want to know. Right. Oh, the third thing first? What was the okay, third thing? You know, I, I can't remember that. Okay, so thing. I want to know is what are they going to replace it with? Because they're going to, mm. you, know, you know, like, antibiotics is a big... It's a very big money-making venture, so these companies are going to be missing. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm sorry if I'm sounding a bit pessimistic, but it, to me... Um... We are the, in Australia, we are the largest users of antibiotics. 19 million prescriptions were done, or are done yearly in Australia. There's only 23 million of us. Someone's taken my lot because I don't get any. 19 million prescriptions of antibiotics... And 70% of our antibiotics are given to our, our animals, our domestic animals. I was actually curious about that. It just struck me um, because I had my one of my dogs to the vet a couple of weeks ago. He gets little ear infections and um, I take him in and they clean out his ears. And I always walk out with a, a jar of serum to put in his ears and a 12-day course of morning and night antibiotics for him. 
And for the first time, I actually got home and I went, you know what? I'm not going to give them to you. And I know that that was a big risk because, you know, they're my life. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm no scientist and I'm not educated. But his recovery was no different to the recovery that he had when he had the antibiotics the time before. In fact, I would even go as far as to say he's in much better shape from the perspective of his eating and, you know, his poo. Well, I, do, I, do, I do look at his poo. I have to pick it up. <laughs> you but, know, there's research on that, Karen. It actually says that if um, you give a child antibiotics versus not give them antibiotics, the outcome is always the same. The same. There's no difference in the outcome. Amazing. Mm. So, so unless it's life threatening, or or like if, what? look, if it's life threatening, yeah. if you're in a life threatening situation, you can do whatever it takes. You do whatever mm. it takes. But we're not in life threatening situations a lot mm. of the time, and the body isn't stupid if you give it the right resources and you stop interfering with it. But we're interfering with it everywhere. You know, yeah. like at every step of our lives, we interfere with it with drugs. We're we're even giving Panadol for teeth eruptions. You know, like that's a, a pain that you have to deal with so you can deal with the big pains in life. Mm. But what's the Panadol doing? What's the, what are the aspirins doing? You know, like we're always looking for the quick fix for the drug, but what we're doing is that we're setting up our body for no intelligence. I must tell you this. You're going to love this. I was at a, um, an engagement a couple of weeks ago down in Melbourne, and it just happened to be that time of the month, and I <laughs> was about to get on stage, and I had the world's worst cramps. And I was staying there hanging onto my tummy and I was just rubbing my tummy, trying to make myself feel better before I had to get up on stage and be larger than life. And the MC was um, somebody quite famous and she came up and saw me rubbing my tummy and she said, are you okay? And I said, no, God, that time of the month, you know, I've got my cramps. And she said, well, you know, Karen, she said, my doctor told me that we've come so far in science and we've evolved so far that we don't have to tolerate that kind of pain. Here, take a, it was some kind of, analgesic or something I don't remember what that was of course I didn't take it but I thought to myself wow that's an interesting perspective that we see ourselves so evolved so fabulous and so scientifically um you know intelligent intelligent Mm. that we don't have to tolerate normal human pains or the normal pains of processes of, of the body doing its thing um that we can just take a pill and be fine with that thinking that there are no consequences to that decision thinking that there are no consequences to the body. I know if I take a Panadol, I'm constipated for three days. I don't take Panadol. So if, but I, and that's a consequence for me. But we don't think, we're not thinking about the consequences as the lay person. But you the know, person out there, we're not thinking Carol, about Dr. Carol Hungerford, Hungerford. Yeah. I heard her speaking just recently, and it, gave, it was a little aha for me. Uh, again, perhaps not to blame doctors, but Cindy, you might be able to help me on this one, but she was talking about, you know, when she studied 40-odd years ago to become a doctor, her parents and the taxman paid for her education. Young doctors these days are paid for by drug... Their their education Mm. is paid for by drug companies. She said, you know, these young doctors that are coming through are highly intelligent young beings, but she said, unfortunately, they know very little about biology, microbiology, and sadly, they know a lot about pharmacology. So it's almost like Mm. you're saying, we're getting so clever with these drugs, but we're not actually understanding the fundamental intelligence of what our body is saying, doing, wanting, and needing. That's the thing, is that they they are 
educated institution that has a philosophy that is based on diagnosis and management of a illness, not on the prevention um, of disease. And we're all about symptoms, symptomology. So if you're feeling great, you think you're healthy. But if you're, you've gone out um, and you've eaten something bad and you come home and you vomit and have diarrhoea badly, you're going to think you're sick. But I actually think you're very healthy because what's happening is your body is functioning at, the, at how it should be functioning. So we should, base, we should base our stuff on function, not on symptomology. Mm-hmm. Because just because you do wow. not have, just because you're free of symptoms does not mean you're healthy. Cindy, that is such a light globe moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. I just, I've got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. That is such a light globe moment. We think it's something to be avoided. We think it's something to medicate, but it's not. It's the body actually functioning the way that it's supposed to be. Oh, bloody hell, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's letting you, it's talking itself. to you. It's talking to you. And when you have a it's fever, intelligence. It's intelligent. But we think it's not. We think that that's bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you have a fever, it's seen as something bad. And so you give Panadol to bring it down. But a fever actually is the, the body functioning it at a high rate to get rid of something that is causing you illness, symptomology. Mm. And what it's doing is it's functioning to take the body to a temperature that will kill whatever it is it needs to kill or put back into perspective the microbiomes. Oh, I love it. Mm. You know, you know, from a psychology point I'm of view... I'm so turned on right yeah, now. <laughs> from a psychology point of view... You know, when we're in pain emotionally and things like that, we, we try to avoid it with drinking or, or perhaps mm. people will take drugs or they get given antidepressants or whatever because they want to avoid the pain. But I, I, I love, you know, when I hear a psychologist turn around and say, you've got to feel it to heal it. Well, that very much goes for the same intelligence in the body, isn't it? It's mm. like you've got to feel that temperature to know that the body's doing its job. Like, I, I really have had the same epiphany. It's like that is, it is so intelligent to know that, you know, when I, I went out the other night had a few champagnes and I haven't been drinking at all very much lately at three o'clock in the morning I was very very ill and you know Danny said to me oh my gosh you poor thing and I went no this is great (laughs) (laughs) my body is getting rid of it (laughs) like it really I I, you know people go oh you poor thing you got a hangover and then we laugh about the hangover but in the in reality my body was going you know what Kim you cannot handle three glasses of champagne you know it was I know that's a very mild thing, but to me it was like my body was talking to me. You know, your body is functioning at a far greater rate than somebody who goes out and downs 10 whiskies and never vomits. They think they're great. They think they've got it made. But their body is not functioning properly. Right. Because it's a poison. Mm. And I find when I'm, like, I have been absolutely clean of anything that causes inflammation in my body for 13 months now. And when twice I've eaten something that I know my body didn't like. And within, you know, a six-hour period, I did the same thing, vomiting and diarrhoea. And within an hour, within that hour, gone, felt great. Yes. So my body was functioning at saying, you can't do this. So the functioning of my body is far greater than it was 13 months ago when I didn't know what was causing inflammation in my body. And inflammation is autoimmunity, by the way. I was going to ask you. Oh, my God, is it? It's autoimmunity. It's the body inflaming itself and eating itself. You know, inflammation, arthritis. Did you know in our children we have a threefold increase in the last decade of children with arthritis? Stop it. It's an autoimmune disease. 
Psoriasis. Psoriasis is hugely on All autoimmune diseases. Oh, I can't bear this anymore. Mm. What? So, I mean, really, we are just totally, totally... The interference factor is extraordinary. I mean, I... I... Shit. Gosh, I just, I just swore. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you can tell not only has she sworn, but she also talked poo today. I think we're getting somewhere. We've crossed a line. We have crossed we a line. We have crossed a line. But you're right. You know, like, I look at it from the context of the mind in that the food interferes with the way that the brain fires. Therefore, we go into mood deficiencies and we have, you know, depressions and things like that and food can affect it. But looking at it from the perspective of the body and the functionality of the body, we just have to stop interfering. We just have to get back to basics, for goodness sake. Put me in a cave with a campfire. Like, and, and interestingly enough, this year I've spoken to lots of people and lots and lots and lots of people are getting this real intense desire to get back to basics Absolutely. on every level. And mm. it's really quite mind-blowing. It was almost like when the Mayan calendar came to an end... It's uh, lots of things came to an end, and the the ripple effect of that is starting to come to the surface now. Of what that looks like, I don't know if that's got anything to do or with it or not. It's not the end; it's just a new. It's beginning, a new beginning, isn't it? yeah. And it's a new beginning of back to the re primal, real, real. Mm. What's real? And yeah. I, this is this I amazing think we're to look me. Back at this time, I, I really do. We're going to look back at this time, probably the last fifty years, and realize that. What were we thinking? We were our most destructive. We were most destructive. And, and the problem is, is that we are on a treadmill. And unless you get off that treadmill, you will end up um, with a non-intelligent body that will destroy you. Will destroy you physically or mentally. Either way. So you, you get off the treadmill and you have more of a chance of surviving this. Yes, dioxins are around. Yes, all of these factors are around, but the healthier and the stronger you are, the more that the body will function properly to get rid of them out of you. Got and it. it may be a vomit. It may be that's what you've got to do. People, you know, like, I when, love it when I, my body vomits. It's just getting it out. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's had enough. And the diary is the same. And yet people go to these um, countries and they take these anti-vomiting and anti-diarrhea yes. tablets. Yes. Before they've even got it. I just kind of go... What are you thinking doing that? Because that is stopping the functioning of the body to make you well. Often it's an inconvenience because they've got to travel again or they're on a plane, or but they're mm. looking at that rather. And so people are often like to get rid of a headache. You've got to get on stage. I need to get rid of my headache. I need to do mm. it now. Um, one thing I just want to ask you is, do you think then, and, and you're a har about sitting in a cave with a fire and things, getting back to like treating the body with real food, real herbs, real plants, real, like helping the gut. Like you're, you're talking about the leaky gut, so I'm getting that. That's one of the big factors of an autoimmune disease. You know, one other thing Carol said, which is really stuck in my head, is that today's doctors, unless they start really looking at nutrition as a form of healing, then today's nutritionists are going to become tomorrow's doctors if doctors don't wake up. And and I really, like, I come to you for a lot of concerns, Cindy. You have, you know, a, a good nutritionist, someone who really understands the the microbiology and the, the way the body functions, to me, 
is someone I really want to get my answers from. I don't want to be given a drug. I don't want to be given an antibiotic. I want to know what I can do to really support my body back to health and well-being. And I'm okay with a bit of pain. You know, I'm okay with a little bit of inconvenience. I mean, I'm probably not, if I'm really honest. Like, I don't want it. But I'm re- I've really turned my, my thinking of that into a wow factor rather than a, oh, my gosh, this is a pain in the butt factor. Mm. Yeah. And I actually think that's the only way we can go, is that our culture is quick fixes. And the culture isn't going to change that fast. So you have to change as an individual. And then hopefully your children will change and there'll be a growing trend that, that will create this change. I, I came out this morning <laughs> just on that note with children and the children repeat your words often, um, you know, through me as well and from what I've learned from you. And I came out today, I put a post on Facebook today that I came out to the kitchen and up on my pantry door is a sign, I make healthy decisions. And my children had put that up on the wall this morning. And I just thought, wow, you know, like they're, they're really starting to get that food is a big part of their well-being. Mm. And, you know, we talked about in our last podcast having respect for the body and having um, falling in love with yourself and in love with your body. And when you have respect and love for your body, you actually want to do that. You want to make healthy you decisions. You have control. You have control of... Of what you don't, you, I, I would no sooner, I'd never go and get a, a McDonald's hamburger ever. That's a non-negotiable that is for a all of us. Non-negotiable, mm. definitely non-negotiable. And I and like people probably look at the way I eat and just go, it's too much work. But that too much work, as they may think, gives me more energy to do so much more. Like I, I think I get a lot achieved in a day. But if I'm, sh- I know that if I was eating breakfast cereals and all those things, I wouldn't have it. But let, let's get back to what we're talking about, and that's autoimmunity. And one of the things that is causing leaky gut is, well, not only the stripping of the bacteria, but the opening of what we call the kissing joints. So we used to think that the epithelial lining of the gut was concrete, cemented. We used to think that, that nothing could permeate it. And then we found that it's actually a joint. It's a, it's, a, it's a passageway. So it will open and close as the body needs it to open and close. When it stays open, this epithelial lining, which is the lining of the gut, when it stays open, that's when you have leaky gut. So as long as you have vitamin D and you have an intelligent body and all of the, the oil that you need in order to, because it's like a grease, it's like, a, it's like um, the cogs. As long as you have all of those nutrients, the body will open and close the epithelial lining as it does. And you know what's interesting is that when you get uh, pathological bacteria into your body via the, the, the mouth, because that's where you're throwing everything in is the mouth. That's where you're going to get it. There is this this um, protein called zonulin. I kind of see zonulin as this little man. And zonulin actually says... And hopefully he's not getting in any other orifices. <laughs> well, zonulin is not in the orifice. Zonulin is in um, out on the other side of the epithelial lining. And it talks to the bacteria in the epithelial lining. And the, the bacteria says, oh, my God, we have a bacteria here. We need to do something about it. So zonulin opens the gate, closes the gate, then gets the army. And says, destroy this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happens and it will do it. If there's just that one time, the immune response happens, um, you have the uh, immunity for whatever it was, 
and that's the end of that. But what happens now is that we get these um, foods more than anything, not pathogens. Pathogens to me are, are not even the problem anymore. It's the food we're eating, additives, preservatives, flavorings. These bacteria see them as foreign particles, open up the gates. Because you've got no nutrition, the gates stay open. But one of the, the, the most potent of all is gluten. And, I, like, you know, my mum, uh, I remember, she, we made, she made her own bread. And that was back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and I don't ever remember gluten intolerance back then. It's just become now. So yeah. my questioning was, well, why back in the 50s and 60s we all ate wheat? But why can't we eat it now? Why does everyone have a gluten intolerance? Why was celiac disease something that you heard of uh, like long, long, like once in a blue moon? I, I knew of one person with celiac disease and that was a 13-year-old kid that was the sister of my girlfriend. That's it. So now every second person has celiacs. Every second person has celiacs now. And so I questioned it. And then I found this amazing... Um, this amazing doctor, a cardiologist at that, called Dr. William Davis, who wrote a book, Wheat Belly, and described what we have done to wheat. Mm -hmm. The hybridization of wheat in the late 60s and mid-70s. It, it, it was there for a good reason. It was to feed a hungry planet. And now they didn't ever ask, well, is it okay for human consumption? So now we know that wheat is a real big problem because they've changed it from a monoploid chromosome to, I think it's a diploid or even a triploid, which means they've changed the chromosome count, which changes everything mm -hmm. of this, this wheat gram. So then gluten is, becomes quite strong. Gluten becomes something that the body says, this isn't good, let's open up the epithelial lining, uh, let's try and kill it, but you put it in for breakfast, morning tea, for lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, and you continue to do it over and over and over again, the immune response becomes um, overwhelmed. body-wide. Yeah, body mm. It's not just going to hit it on the digestive tract, it starts to go look for things that look like gluten. And the Hashimoto's is part of that. And they're saying that there are 55 diseases that have now been linked to gluten. The new gluten. This is the gluten from the hybridized wheat grain. Mm. And if you continue to eat it, you're going to continue to eat your, your, your thyroid or whatever it is the body's eating, your osteoporosis, dementia. Every part of the body can be consumed as a result of this immune response that's gone crazy. So, Cindy, I, I imagine people listening to this, if they're feeling like Karen and I, it's like, wow, okay. You've given me a whole lot of information. I'm a little bit scared now. Tell me, can we start going into what we can do to improve it? How do, we, how do we look at how I can make myself better or prevent perhaps getting psoriasis or osteoporosis or rheumatoid arthritis? Rheumatoid arthritis or, just, just so many. Uh, like you, you mentioned before, did I hear you right, saying that 50-something diseases are considered 55. autoimmune? Yeah, 55. And growing. And growing. So, oh no, there's more autoimmune diseases, but 55 have been linked to gluten. You see, that's frightening in itself. Mm. So let's give us, give me something to walk away from this podcast. Going great, I, I'm onto it. You know, if you're a young mum out there listening, then become very educated about your body. Uh, even if you're you're a young person that hasn't had children become so educated before you start to have children because it's got to be our next generation that gets the strength 
because this generation of children that are coming through do not have the health. Arthritis, ADD, ADHD, Asperger's, um, allergies, asthma, it's growing phenomenally. What do we do? You know, how do we help this generation? First of all, um, we've got to start at the beginning. So if you're not pregnant, you think about being pregnant, become very aware of this. Don't take antibiotics unless it's a life-threatening situation. Uh, and look at all the processes from ultrasounds. We don't know what ultrasounds do. We, we, you know, it's been going for 10, 15, 20 years. I actually get a, um, almost a visceral response every time I see on Facebook a picture of a baby that has been ultrasounded. I, I actually cannot stand it mm. because we don't know what it's doing. Mm. We've only had 20 years' experience, just like the antibiotic. We've had 50 years, and now we know that we've created a huge problem. So, number one, if you're in that stage of your life, become very educated. Know everything about everything, both sides, and make it an educated decision, not a propaganda decision. Who can you turn to if you don't know, or you haven't got time to look, or you, you just don't know what to say? Well, I, you'd have to make time to look. I mean, yeah. you'd, it, you'd have to. You'd, you'd have to make yeah, time to... Yeah, but let's to... say, okay, you want to make time, but you don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can always start at Changing Habits. That would be my suggestion. Yeah. You can always start at changinghabits.com.au because... But, you Cindy, know, you're getting inundated now mm-hmm. with, I, I see on your Facebook page, personal questions. Cindy, do you recommend this? Like, you're getting very small questions now, which I imagine are coming through by the thousands. Do you have, like, you talked about that vitamin K report. Is that available on your website? Yeah. Is there things like, like, you offer a heck of a lot for it's people reports, to research? Reports on everything um, on, on my website plus the newsletter. The thing is you've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So don't start with the plethora of information that I've got out there. Start with changing habits, changing lives. That will give you an idea of what they're doing to our food supply. And just, you know, and, and the thing is, is that since I've understood about wheat, I haven't changed the book. So then you get the wheat report, and the wheat report will then update that chapter. And eventually we'll update the book, but I just, at this point, I don't have time. But at least it's that, it's a beginning. And then from that beginning, you can go to all the reports. There's 21 reports on different things that you can go to and have a look at. Find a doctor that is environmentally a doctor, mm-hmm. not a doctor that diagnoses and gives medications at the drop of a hat, because that's, that's what they're taught. They don't know any different paradigm. But there's a place called, is it Acnea or something around Asnum. Asnum. A-C-N-E-M. Australian College of Natural and Environmental Medicine. Thank you. Dot org, I think it is. Dot org, dot au. But not every doctor on there is good. Okay. Because I've sent people to that and they've gone to the doctor and the doctor has just prescribed them another medication. Wow. So they have to go through a course, but if they don't believe in it, why would they teach it? So you have to be, you know, like there, a lot of them are good, like Dr. Carol Hungerford, Dr. Karen Phelps, um, Dr. Greg Emerson. Dr. Jung. Dr. Jung, mm. Dr. you know, um, Dr. Um, Karen Coates. They're out there. There, mm. are, there are so many out there. It's a matter of finding them. Word of mouth is probably a really good one. Um, and, and I would suggest too, like on your point before, Karen, that you know you haven't got a choice. If you want to do this, it's like there's no shortcuts no, here. No you're no not just going to get it in the drop of a hat. If you really want to know this stuff, you're going to have to put the time and effort in. Yeah. So, so okay, so I can find support that way. I can. Uh, my port of call is always you, and I feel very comfortable because I know that if you don't know something, the greatest thing about you is 
you'll you go looking for it, it or you'll tell us where to go. Yeah. Nicely. Tell you where to go. Nicely. I do Nicely. tell them where to go all the time. <laughs> um, what about if I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a woman at home, I've got a couple of kids, mm. I just want to start making us a little bit more healthy. I mean, I, I've heard you talk a lot about probiotics and I've heard you talk a lot about um, um, kefir, um, fermented, fermented foods, foods yeah. things like that. So yeah. is that something that would be a good place? Definitely. Fermented foods is a great place to start. So you, uh, every culture has a fermented food. So in it's kimchi is in Korea, um, sauerkraut in Germany, yogurts uh, all around the world, but not your commercial yogurts. Not your chocolate-flavoured dairy milk. No. No. And, and this is what they learn in Changing Habits is they, they learn uh, about what they do to our yogurts. Oh gosh! I, I, like I feel like um, to begin with, it's it, you just it's like a, a hill, you know. It's like a mountain. It's one step at a time. I tell you what works for me though. In all honesty, to get back to basics, I very much look at ingredients. That's a big thing now. So anything with numbers or. And even going as far as anything with 621 or 951 to me, which is in a majority of kids' foods and anything foods. Anything in the package, actually. Yeah, but, <laughs> but even, no, but even it. for some that's people, it. it's a step. That's even two bigger steps. Mm. So you know what I mean? So I'm just trying to make it quite simple here. The next thing for me that really helped um, support and educate others around me has been your probiotics, your colloidal minerals, and your green food. Um, just instigating that into a part of your daily routine for me got me into the whole thing of, my gosh, I'm actually feeling really good. Or the people that are doing it, I've been doing it with you for a while, but the people that have taught to do it are saying to me in a very short amount of time, my gosh, just from having the green food for the last two weeks, I didn't like the taste of it at the beginning. <laughs> I thought I was drinking Shrek, but, um, <laughs> but in all honesty, I actually feel different. And you might find your cravings don't happen as much like little steps like that maybe dropping the wheat would be a good idea look i think if you take wheat out of your diet especially if you have hashimoto's or some autoimmune disease see what happened in the in the early days is that the doctor would see you have hashimoto's or addison's disease or something like that and they'd say oh well let's just wait until the body gets rid of it which never made any sense to me. Let's just wait till the body eats the, the thyroid or the whatever it is. Let's just wait till it eats it and then we'll be able to manage your problem. I go, really? why wait till then? Why not say, well, gluten is something that's causing this. Like this has been out there for 10 years in the science world that Hashimoto's and gluten should never be, you know. In the same in sentence. In the same sentence. Well, you get rid of gluten mm. if you've got Hashimoto's. Um, and we're finding that with lots of diseases now. So to me, that would be the first thing. And so for someone out there that just wants to get started, try and go off wheat. Mm. Then you'll go off packaged foods because every packaged food has wheat. Remember, glucose is made from wheat. So you just don't realize that wheat is a big part of our diet and it's this hybridized wheat. So the, that's, the problem that's is, is, is it's a little bit beyond that for some, though, where you can say go off wheat or go off sugar, but there's actually an addiction in behind that, yeah. so that's another whole area. But one thing I would say for someone like you, Karen, that's really blown me away, and even yourself, Cindy, where um, you know you two are very healthy, beautiful, careful, committed souls. As is Kim. Um, <laughs> but, but what I've got and what I've really learned from you both is there's not a one thing fits all. 
So, I mean, Karen's just learnt recently, you know, she's made some decisions that, you know, she dropped the gluten and still was feeling a bit bloated and things like that. And then, um, you know, she then has decided not to eat animal products at the moment. And I think this is what I love about you both. Um, Cindy stopped eating wheat and then introduced it once and then felt the inflammation. I think it's an ongoing educational process of our bodies constantly evolving. And I think it's there's not one fix all, is there? No, there's not. And when you start to listen to your body... You know, a lot of people will take a painkiller because their body's hurting them. But the body is actually is functioning at the right way because it's saying, hey, there's something wrong. Mm. You're either eating something, doing something, taking something, putting something on your skin, or something in your environment that we need to get rid of or I'll just keep whispering to you. Then it starts yelling at you. You know, it will scream at you. And if you're not listening to it, then, you know, you'll end up with these diseases. Listen to your whispers. If you've got a little ache or pain that's just not going away, maybe it's something you're eating. And what we do is we have the tools to teach people how to do it. But don't think it's going to happen. It's not a one, it's not a pill wonder. Mm. This is an education. This educates you about what is right for you and what's not right for you. I think it's a focus. You know, like I'm, I'm much more, uh, I, I'm much newer to this way of thinking than you girls are because I really only just got that my body and my mind are connected. Personally, I thought they were quite separate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we all do at times. But I think it's a shift in focus and because it's still relatively new for me, I think the way that I've done it has been certainly starting off with your colloidals and your green foods and your probiotics. What that actually did was it created a new focus for me on my food. Mm-hmm. It made me conscious. It made me think about what I was eating. And previously to that, I didn't think about what I was eating. I would just go, ooh, hunger pain, mm, KFC, pull into the drive through and not give it another thought. Or I would go, oh, hungry, Turkish delight looks good. So I would just think about what I, I would get the hunger pain or the hunger pang and then ask what I felt like and then it would always be whatever it was that I was habituated in eating and then I would just eat it unconsciously. Except for when I was dieting, then it would be a diet Coke or it would be a diet yogurt because that's what we were conditioned with eating when we are on a diet. But the beautiful thing about this is that it's now this whole new education has actually made food a priority, whereas food was never a priority for me. I ate because I was hungry, and I ate because it's social, and I ate because I enjoyed it. But now the food is a priority, and I'm conscious of what goes into my mouth because I listen to my body. So I'm very connected, and getting that connection has taken time. And you've made a really good point there because what convenience has done, like packaged foods and supermarkets and things like that, is our instinct for survival has gone. Mm. So our instinct for survival would be to, we had to eat meat or or vegetables or whatever, whatever it was out there, berries, nuts, seeds, we had to eat that. We had to exercise. We had to move. We had to do all these things for our survival. Convenience has stopped our need to survive, mm. and we're not surviving unless we create a new um, non-convenience uh, way of survival. It, you, you're doomed. Your health is doomed. So what you've done is taken the convenience out of your life, and realised that 
you have an instinct for, for survival and you're just following that now. Which mm. is even more convenient than we could ever imagine. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, it's amazing because it actually is, mm. you know. Yesterday I sat down and um, had a packet of M&Ms on the table and I looked you at You ate them on the table or they were on the table? No, they were just on the table. Oh, right, right. Yeah, they were just on the table, staring some, at me, calling out my new, name. Some new foreplay or something. I wasn't quite sure where oh, we were going with that sake, one. Are we there again? <laughs> People, I don't know where. Who are you? Where on earth do you people come from? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. But anyway, they were calling out my name, and I actually I sat and I looked at them and I thought, do I need you? Like, is it? Do I have? Do I have to listen to you screaming out my name with great ferocity? Do I? Do I have to eat you? Do I have to eat you? And my first inclination was absolutely not. And you know, all I saw was a beetroot in my fridge, you know, uh, drawer thingy, the vegetable drawer. The minute I looked at the M&M, straight away I got a vision of the beetroot in my fridge. So I went and got the beetroot, peeled it and ate the beetroot like an apple. And really? it was actually, it was, mm. it was still sweet and it was, it was just so much more, I, I felt... Very virtuous. That I, you know what? Mm. It's respect. Yeah, but that's it, it was. It was respect, respect for your body. Mm. It was respect mm. because it was almost like I loved myself a little bit more mm. there because not because I ate the beetroot, but because I listened, mm. and I love to love myself. Really, I think I'm fabulous. So well, I actually <laughs> would verify that one hundred and fifty percent. But it, it's back to that thing of self love means self respect, which means self control. You mm. didn't eat the. The M&Ms, and we are impressed. Oh, thanks. I feel like I really had an accomplishment there. So, you know, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast today. We've, you know, a lot of um, attention and a lot of effort's gone into it to prepare the content of today's podcast because it's so important that we start to arrest and apprehend the damage that's being done to our bodies and to start taking responsibility for it in every way, shape or form. So make sure that you tune in next week and join us here as your professional reminders right here on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.